I'm, I'm stoked to be teaching tonight. Uh, welcome to our Saturday night service. Um, we are, we're going to get into it. This monitor is not working, but I don't need it. We're just going to keep going. All, all I was going to use it for is to make sure that I didn't go over time, and so we're just going to keep going until this monitor turns on. Um, but uh, I, I'm stoked. You guys are awesome. You, you guys, Pastor Rob says this all the time, but you're, I'm convinced you're literally the best congregation in the world. Literally. And Amen. <laughs> And that's the last nice thing I'm going to say about you tonight. No, I'm kidding. Um, seriously, though, you, you guys don't miss a beat. And, and we go through the Bible here at God's Week, but I know sometimes it can, be, it can get a little confusing because we have uh, lots of different... Yes, lots of different... She's like, I need a Bible now, speaking of which. Um, uh, yeah, let's do it now. If you guys need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our, our ushers are going to... I don't even... It's, it's so amazing. I don't even think about the ushers like giving Bibles out until it happens and they're always just so faithfully there. So thank you guys. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring one, grab one. Um, so you guys are, you, you don't miss, you really don't miss a beat. And we, it's, it can be a little bit confusing because we have Pastor Rick going through Genesis on Saturday nights. We have Pastor Rob right now. He's in a Joshua study at the 9 and 11 o'clock service on Sunday mornings. And then we have uh, the, the anchored reading that we're going through at the 1 p.m. service. Rick is going through the New Testament and you guys don't miss a beat. I'm jumping in like once a month now teaching. And you guys are, are so faithful to, to show up and to learn. And, and what I thought we would do is to, we're going to do a little, a, a little sermon recap. Just a September sermon recap. I'm going to be turning around a lot as we look through the slides. We have um, some slides we're going to be going through. A, a September sermon recap at the beginning of the month. The beginning of the month. We had our, our, our sermon, 1 Corinthians 10, Fleeing Idolatry. I, I taught that September 3rd. Uh, September 3rd, it, I taught Fleeing Idolatry. And uh, we talked about what it means to participate in idol worship. If you guys can just click through that, uh, go to um, Fleeing Idolatry on there. If it's on there, if it's not on there, then that's okay. Um, there you go. Fleeing Idolatry. And that, that was 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Remember? Uh, we talked about what it means to participate in uh, idol worship. We broke down the good things in our lives that we make, what? God things. The good things in our lives that we make God things. Football season. We're talking about football. How you, I'm, I'm checking in on the football fans. How are you guys doing? How you guys are? <laughs> you guys all right? It, it's, pre, it's pretty bad. It's, it's been pretty, I, feel, I feel like I, I single-handedly cursed the 2023 NFL football season. I mean, Rodgers out game one. Burrow is just a complete disappointment. Chubb, he like destroyed his knee. And, uh, but we won't be moved. We won't be moved. Uh, God, he's been almost making it easy because I've just like, I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Uh, but football aside, hopefully you guys have been challenged. You guys have been going through it, being challenged um, through that, um, that, that reality that we are to shed off and flee this idolatry. Uh, remember our conclusion in that sermon was that our biggest idol is what? Ourselves. It's ourselves. And we need to remember our, our image in, in God, our image, the Imago Dei, our image, God making us in his image. And then September 10th, we got a sermon from Pastor Rick, God's gifted people, as we continued on in our anchored, anchored reading program, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, God's gifted people. What happens when you realize that you are the image of God? What happens? When we understand that image, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we become, we become vessels of righteousness. The fruit of that is 
the gifts, the gifts that he gives us, the spiritual gifts. We have word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, an active body, active church operating in the spirit and in truth is unstoppable. Then, September 17th, Pastor Rick taught changed lives, changed lives out of 2 Corinthians 2 through 3 as we continued on in our New Testament anchored reading. We jumped into 2 Corinthians and we talked about changed lives. When your life is changed, your personal life is changed, you receive all of these things, you become active in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you become, you become an active member of church, this is what church is, what happens? You're not just changed, but the people around you, their lives are changed. Everybody around you, their li- it's overflowing out of you. We see Matthew seven sixteen. you will know them by their fruit, you will know them by your fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And Pastor Rob, has, he said this before, what's the purpose of fruit? The purpose of fruit. It's not to make the tree look beautiful. It's for others. It's for others. The world around it. A healthy tree, its roots firmly planted and nourished, produces an overflowing abundance of fruit. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and we are rooted and established in a relationship with him, we are not only changed and restored, the world around us and the people around us get to experience the testimony of who Jesus is and their lives, their lives are also changed. Isn't it so rad how we could, we could go home just now after the music, worshiping through music, worshiping through all of these things and just a sermon recap, we have an amazing amount and quality of content. Um, But as we continue our study through the New Testament, that's where we are, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. We're going to be talking about Paul and his letter to the church at Corinth. Paul's letter, letters to the church at Corinth. Right now, we're going to just break down real fast. We're going to take a look at a, a little bit, just a study of the collective letters, the collective letters to the church at Corinth. Now, the second letter, so we're in what, okay, a little engagement. We're in what book of the Bible right now? Second Corinthians, second Corinthians. What's super trippy is that the second letter that was written, the second letter that was written is what we have titled first Corinthians. It's going to get super confusing and that's okay. The second letter that was actually penned by Paul is what we call first Corinthians. Corinthians. And how do we know that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So Paul's referencing a letter before 1 Corinthians. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. So Paul's first actual letter that he wrote is mentioned in what we have titled 1 Corinthians. Then in what we have titled 2 Corinthians, Paul references another letter that we don't have. 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confided confidence in you, all that my joy is, the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of hearts, I wrote to you with many tears, dramatic, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have, I have so abundantly for you. I don't know about you, I, I personally, I feel like we missed out on like the two juiciest letters, right? The, the letter we don't have, he's like, I talked to you guys about fleeing sexual immorality. 
And then in, in, in this one, he's referencing back to another letter. He said, with, with, I grieved, anguish of heart, I, many tears. And, and so we have a, a third letter, third Corinthians, refer, a third letter to the Corinthians referenced in the second letter. So what does that mean? What does that mean? First Corinthians is actually the second letter. Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. Does that make sense? Kind of. It's a little bit confusing. Why is any of that so important? It's genuinely not at all. I just thought it was interesting. I just thought it was super cool. It was super cool. But, but joking aside, isn't it? It's incredible. It really is incredible that we can have full confidence knowing that out of those four letters, God intentionally and purposefully has allowed these two to be preserved to speak to you. The other two letters that we don't have were for the church in Corinth, the little C church in Corinth. But these two that we have are for the capital C church. They will live on and they have lived on to speak to all of us, all of us. And this slew of letters, the slew of letters um, is an evidence of Paul's heart for the church at Corinth, his heart for them, long suffering. And he needed to be. They attempted, this church attempted to humiliate him. They challenged his authority. They minimized his work, yet he continued to write. And writing a letter back then wasn't, wasn't like writing a letter today. You had to send someone with it. It was a big deal. Paul knew that if they would listen and obey God, that they would be unstoppable for the real kingdom work. The war that goes on beyond what we see with our physical eyes and into the spiritual, which leads us here to our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And for our message today, titled, I, I spoiled it a little bit, Pulling Down Strongholds. Pulling Down Strongholds. This is what we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 1. We already got Bible, so let's stand up and read this passage. Stand up and read, read this passage. You guys all right? You're awake? All right, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Join with me as we read. Follow along. I'm going to have it up on the screen. It says, now I, Paul, myself, in pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us through it. We pray that any words that Lord, would be um, my own would fall upon deaf ears and only your words would go forth. Lord, we love you, praise you, dedicate the rest of the service to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Relax. Take a seat. Take a seat. So, as we look at this, verse one, we look at verse one. Now, I, Paul, Myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Paul's detractor's accusation against him was that he was all bark and no bite. They were basically saying, Paul, look, you write these bold letters. You're, you, you're, you're abrasive. You're, you're, you're very bold in the way you're... 
you're challenging, it's hard to swallow, all these things you're saying to us, and then you show up and then you're just like a, a little weak old man. You're not so great looking, weak little old man. The message doesn't match the messenger. That's what they're, that's what they're telling him. Paul is saying, look, look I, I'm, I'm lowly in presence when I'm among you, but absent, I'm bold towards you. That's, that's what they're saying. Na- when, when that happens to us, our natural fleshly reaction, when we are accused of not being strong enough, of, of being all talk, what, what's our natural, our fleshly reaction is to what? Prove ourselves, right? Prove ourselves. If you ever want someone, mostly men, if you ever want us to do anything for you, just ch- tell us that we're not strong enough to do it. Like, uh, so I, we were replacing my water heater at my house, uh, myself, you know, Micah Harris, and Dom, we were at my house, we were replacing the water heater, and, and the new, it was time for the new water heater to go up on the pedestal. It was, that, it was time. And there was three strong, able men there. And uh, Micah was like, you, you just, you got that, Dom? And Dom, Dom kind of looked at him like, and Micah's like, dude, you're not strong enough. Bro, you're not strong. And, and immediately Dom was like, okay, yeah, right. And so Dom literally just he-mans the water heater up off of the ground onto the pedestal because of what? He didn't, he didn't need to prove it, but he could do it. That's, that's my wife is actually, she's figured this out. She's like, <laughs> she's like, uh, uh, she doesn't actually do this. This is just, uh, I, I, she, I, I couldn't even say it. And, and I don't want to misrepresent her. But uh, she, she's like, the, the I bet you're not strong enough to do the dishes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Let me show you. I'm doing the dishes. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. I've been fooled. But Paul, Paul was dealing with a church that they saw his lack of strength, the lack of his physical presence and physical power as a reason to void his calling. And I'm sure in his flesh he wanted to respond and like, I'll show you. But instead, what does he say? In meekness and in gentleness. If the Christian's mission was solely what we see on the surface, then Paul failed. He failed. But we find ourselves, although a part of a physical world, we are fighting a spiritual war. Jesus is in the business of reducing us to our minimum that he may pour in his maximum, his maximum. Matthew Henry, crazy looking guy. He said, <laughs> I said, what? I was like way bigger on that screen than on my computer. <laughs> All right, Matthew, we get it. Your hair's crazy. He, this is what he said. But, but observe the conquest the word of God gains. The appointed means, us, however f- feeble they appear to some, will, by, will be mighty through God and the preaching of the cross by men of faith and prayer has always been fatal to idolatry and piety and wickedness. This, and he probably wrote that because people were making fun of his hair. He's like, look, I might look, I might look crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry. But the, the, this is what the people at the church in Corinth, were. Uh, some of them, they were claiming, Paul, you're, you're, you're weak. Look at you. They were also claiming that, Paul, you suffer too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. You suffer too much. Look at your life. Look at your life. Has anyone ever laid that on you? Has anyone, if you're such an awesome Christian, why does your life suck? And you're like, oh, that's actually a really good question. God, why does my life suck? Oh, why, 
what? What's going on? It's a, hard, it's a hard question to answer if you don't understand God's nature and his plan for you. Paul understood that our life is, and this is what we have in common with the person that doesn't know Jesus. Our life is, is going to be just as hard, if not harder. But no matter what, we have purpose and hope. It's purpose in the suffering, in the pain. And there, there may be Christians in your life that are telling you that your circumstance, your trial, your issue, whatever it might be, is there because of your sin. And they simply don't know the scripture. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is what the trials do for us. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope now hope does not disappoint because because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us this is a one-up on stoicism stoicism is is really popular right now it's a cool thing to do is to be a stoic this is a one-up this isn't just it is what it is it is what it is no this actually gives you purpose in the pain it's the God's word Your life submitted to Jesus is the only thing that will give purpose to your pain. James and Paul, as they're writing in these verses, was they they were just taking Jesus at his word. Jesus in Matthew 10, 22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Earlier in Matthew, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is, but it is, the one who is endured to the end, who will be saved. Isn't it so hilarious when we feel like we can be more holy than Jesus? We could be more loved than Jesus? I just, you will be hated. The gospel is offensive. Offensive. The truth cuts. The truth cuts. The truth cuts, but it cuts to heal you. That's a quote from Gabriel Finocchio. From Theosu, he's amazing. The truth cuts, but it cuts to heal you. Now, this, some of you guys are, are, this is not an excuse to be a jerk. There is only one good reason to be hated, and that's because of Jesus' name. Righteous offense comes not through physical assault, not through verbal abuse, but through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are just offensive, just to be offensive. Me too. All that, some of you guys, I'm literally, I'm speaking into a mirror. There, I can see myself in the reflection of that glass door. So if ever you feel offended, just know I'm just talking to myself. Just talking to myself. Just being offensive, just to be offensive. No, no, no. Hated for my name, for Jesus' name. Our flesh desires and will always look for a reason to not accept the truth because it, it hurts. The truth hurts. 
can't handle it. But behind all of the accusations that, that, that were being leveled against Paul, this was ultimately what his accusers wanted. They were mislabeling Paul's meekness as weakness because they didn't want to receive the truth of his message. They were mislabeling the boldness of his letter and the gentleness by which he displayed himself in person as a contradiction because they didn't want to receive the truth of his message, the truth of his message. Despite all of the accusations and attacks, Paul responds in meekness and gentleness. Meekness and gentleness. Who was he modeling? Jesus. Sunday school answer. We got that. We understand meekness to be strength under control. Strength under control. Jesus, the one who could have by a mere thought doomed his accusers to hell, instead died on a cross for the joy that was set before him. It's, it's Jesus. This is Jesus in John 18, 36 through 37. Looking Pilate in the face saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight and they'd win. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. Christ was declaring his kingship while in chains. Declaring it while in chains. He was lowly in presence among us. But now in his absence is bold towards us as he speaks to us through his word. Pleading with us to repent and to turn to him. Repent and return to him. In verse 2, we continue on. But I, what Paul's saying, but I beg you, I beg you, in meekness and in gentleness, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold, that when I am present with you, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some of you who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. This has nothing to do with Paul's willingness to be bold, in person. He's willing to do it. And he's even saying that he intends to do it to some of them, to, in boldness to some of them. But he doesn't want to have to do that in person. He, he doesn't want to have to be that way to all of them. It's just like parenting. I don't want to have to be harsh and discipline my kids. I don't want to have to do it. I wish that they would just listen to me. <laughs> I would rather them just listen to me. But this is this is just a little flex from Paul. It's a little flex. He's like, look, I'll pull up. I'll, if, you, if you really want me, I'll pull up and I'll be ready to do it. I don't want to, although I intend to do it with some of you guys, some of you knuckleheads. For though we walk in the flesh, and this is the, the crux of this whole argument. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He's saying, guys, all this stuff that you're worrying about, me being old and weak, it's a distraction from the real fight. He's not denying that we're a part of this world. There's no escaping that apart from death. But, but although we walk in the world, we war in the spirit. We war in the spirit. War. War. Stratuomai. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> I just thought that that looked cool. The Greek is awesome. And it's so funny. This is like such a, just a depiction of how dumb the English language is. We're like, the Greeks are like, stratuomai. And they're like, you see their, their, their writing is, and we're like, 
I, like, we got three letters for you, bro. War. War. <laughs> to make a military expedition to lead soldiers to war or to battle. Though we walk in the flesh, we war in the spirit. We war in the spirit. But we get caught up in the opposite. Lots of times we end up just warring in the flesh. In the flesh and taking just a casual stroll in the park in the spirit. We, mostly men, again, but we collect, we, we, especially in America, we romanticize war. We have our war games. We have our war movies. My three all-time favorite movies of all time are all war movies. Lone Survivor, American Sniper, 13 Hours. My all-time favorite movies. These three movies. Ask my wife at any moment, any moment. She, it'd be three in the morning, and she'd be like, you want to watch Lone Survivor? And I'll, like, I will immediately be like, yeah, like, I'll be on the couch with my AR, like, night vision, play. I'm like, let's go. Like, <laughs> it's just a dude, that, like, we're just crazy. And these, these, the reason why these movies, I love these movies so much, is not just because of their war movies and it's violent and I'm like that. It's because, it's because they're true. These stories, I mean, they're, they're, they're Hollywood, obviously, but they're, they're depictions of things that have actually happened. In all of its brutality, they really happen. And they, they must be told in all of their brutality. War is horrific. Although we romanticize, it's really, it's really horrific. And the further back we go in history, the, the, the more horrific and terrible the wars get. But just as physical war is horrific and brutal, the majority of people have no trouble understanding this. But somehow we even believers can prefer and also choose to live as though the spiritual war is inconsequential or doesn't exist. Friends, let this be a reminder today to anyone who needs to hear it. It does exist. It exists. The greatest casualty of physical war is the loss of life. However, the greatest casualty of spiritual war is a lost soul. And ultimately, it's eternal damnation apart from repentance. Apart from repentance, it's eternal damnation. The cost is great, but the hope of the believer is both physical and eternal. John, John eleven twenty five says, Whoever believes in me, though he would die, yet shall he live. The reality is, if you're a believer, you can physically die on a battlefield and still live on in eternity. But... A living being, someone still on this earth with a lost soul, hopeless, spiritually dead. They're really in a lot of ways in far greater peril. And that might be you here tonight, spiritually dead, losing the battle, hopeless, out of the fight, right where the enemy wants you. A soldier out of the battle. God wants you in this spiritual fight. You're only going to find your ultimate fulfillment in this fight, fully surrendered and fully engaged in the spiritual war. In the spiritual. How do we engage in the spiritual war? How do we engage? A war cannot be fought long without weapons. A war can't. Somebody like, oh, I just got these fists, bro. Stop. No. A war cannot be fought long without weapons. Can't be fought long without weapons. In verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Mighty in God. The weapons, we can't fight long without weapons. One of my, speaking of Lone Survivor, one of my favorite scenes in Lone Survivor 
There's Mark Wahlberg, who's playing Marcus Luttrell, if you've seen the movie. It's right at the beginning of, of this fight, and they're, 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 it's just like, it's so overwhelming that they have no choice but to literally jump off of a cliff. You guys remember the scene? Some of you do. He's, they're rolling down, the team of four dudes, they're rolling down, they're like hitting every part of their body on every rock, smashing against rocks. There's a snake. It's like crazy. It's brutal. They fall and he's, he's spitting blood out of his mouth. And the first, he, doesn't, he doesn't check whether or not he's been shot. He doesn't look who's okay. What is the first thing he says? He goes, I lost my rifle. My rifle. Where's my rifle? That's the first thing he thought of. As he's getting up, he's like, I lost my rifle. Why? Why? Let's just put Lone Survivor on right now. Let's just go. <laughs> we, don't need to, we don't need to talk anymore. Let's just watch this movie. Micah Harris and I, we can literally have an entire, like, hour-long conversation only in Lone Survivor quotes. And it's just, it's the funniest thing in the world. But where, where's my rifle? There is no fight without a weapon. That's the understanding. Some of us here today are engaged in a spiritual battle, and we're showing up to the op empty-handed. We're engaging, but we have no weapon, and we're wondering why we're losing why are we losing? Dude, you're, you don't have a weapon in the game. So what are the weapons? We can't, hold, we can't have the weapons if we don't know what they are. What are these weapons? We're going to dive deeper into this as we're, getting, we're pre, uh, proceeding in the Anchored Reading Program. Ephesians is coming up. But we look at Ephesians 6. Look at Ephesians 6. We're going to read through this real fast. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Your waist, defensive. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, defensive. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, defensive. Above all, taking the shield, defensive. Could be offensive if you needed to in a pinch. Shield of faith, with which we'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, defensive. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, offensive. The weapon. The weapon. The word of God, although it's not your, your only spiritual weapon, it certainly is the most important one and the strongest one. You got worship, we got prayer, fasting, faith. Those all can be spiritual weapons, but the word of God, your sword, that is your main spiritual weapon. How do we fight back against the enemy? It's the same way that Jesus did when he was being tempted by Satan. The word of God, the word of God. In Matthew chapter four, Verses one through four, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Understatement. Now, when the, temp the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan wanted Jesus to appeal to his carnality, but our Lord understood that he could not combat a spiritual battle with carnal weapons. God's word, every word of it, it is powerful. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe it? It is powerful. This is a really cool illustration that, that, that I heard, and I, I think it's impactful. Do we believe how powerful God's word actually is? If I told you that on my way here, I stopped at the local witchcraft store, and I picked up a book of spells. Picked it, and it's in my pocket right now. And I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to read some spells to you guys. You ready? No. 
People would literally freak out if I started doing that. Like literally freak out. Like I would get tackled onto the ground, like spiritual weapon this, boom. You, people would leave. People would never come back if I did that. Yet we yawn through the reading of God's almighty word. Or we're too tired or too busy. Surely our reaction to God's word should be at least, at least the same. At least in, in enthusiasm. God's word is powerful. It's powerful. I just didn't really get anything out of it. That's what I hear all the time. I hear that all the time. I feel that all the time. I just didn't really get anything out of it today. Whether or not you, you got anything out of it, God's word, it will never return void. Ever. Ever. This is our weapon. Every answer to every problem. Do you know it? Do you know it? Are you prepared for battle? How do we get prepared? How do we get prepared? In war, you can't just shove a rifle in somebody's face, in somebody's arms, and expect them to be proficient with it. We have to actively prepare and train. In warfare and really anything, any activity, whether it's sports or public speaking or, or music, you will always, you will always resort to the least common denominator of training. Le- however you're training, however you're training, however you're practicing, is then how you will perform under pressure. And we understand that, but a lot of times that's how we do it in the spiritual war. Something crazy in our life happens and we're just wrecked by it. And we're like, what was that one verse I read like four months ago and anchored? It's something about strongholds or something. How we train is how we'll fight. This is, a, this is really cool. This guy's, look at that mustache. Ferdinand Foch. Ferdinand, he's so cool, I just look at him. The truth is, no study or no studying is possible on the battlefield. One does there simply what one can in order to apply what one knows. Therefore, in order to do even a little, one has already to know a great deal and to know it well. That's from his, uh, an excerpt from The Principles of War. It's too late to study someone's fighting techniques when you're actively getting punched in the face. It's too late. We have to be prepared for this fight. Training, training, training. For that reason is why we are here today. This is what church is. Training. Christianity in our current culture has completely lost perspective of this. Many churches today are just places where people go to be taught how to be the best versions of themselves instead of how to die to themselves. Many pastors resort of just becoming nothing more than a self-help motivational speaker who only cares that their message does not offend the congregation rather than actually wanting them to grow up in the Lord. Amen. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 gives us this picture of, of church, of ministry, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Tertullian, early church father, another epic beard, epic mustache. These guys are so epic. 
Not so much Matthew Henry, but this, this, <laughs> this beard. Let me read this quote for you. Church, on church, where the fear of God is, there is seriousness. An honorable and yet thoughtful diligence, an anxious carefulness, and a well-considered admission to the ministry. There is also a safely guarded communion, promotion to leadership after good service, and a scrupulous submission to authority. There is a devout attendance, a modest gate, a united church, and God in all things. All things. Our culture would have us believe that church can look like whatever you want it to look like. Whatever you want it to look like. Our culture makes church just a reflection of and a validation of ourselves, our own pursuits and our own pleasures. Church is intended to be where we come to die to our fleshly pursuits and pleasures. We have to push back against this heresy, pull down the cultural stronghold, pull it down. Pride, pride, pride. This is so hard. This is so difficult. This is so to see the word pride plastered above the perfect symbol of humility is mind-boggling. You don't get to redefine church, just like you don't get to redefine marriage. Just like you don't get to redefine what a man is, what a woman is. Just like you don't get to redefine when life begins. This isn't what church is. We're here to train. We're here to get better. I don't... We're here to get better. <laughs> this, is, this is hard. Look, I'm going to offend some Lakewood fans here. <laughs> Look, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm not saying that it's impossible. But it would be very difficult to have a church that looks like this while you're staying faithful to preaching and embracing this concept. And I, just, I know I offended some people. That's okay. That's fine. I intended to. Just send me an email. <laughs> Look, you're here to get equipped for battle, not pampered. Not pampered. You're, you're not here to get pampered. Training is not a safe space. Training is a difficult space, a challenging space where you practice dedication. You apply yourself. You apply yourself. That's what we're doing. That's why the sermon's going to go a little long because we're just going to keep going. We have our weapon, the word. We have our training in the church. And now what is the battle? What is the battle? Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is a stronghold? Another cool Greek word. I'm not even going to try. It's a castle, stronghold, fortress in the physical Anything on which one relies in the metaphysical of the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. Who is your opponent? Please let it not be God. The stronghold is there to keep what is on the outside on the outside. And in this spiritual stronghold, in this spiritual battle, the stronghold is the wall, the fortress that we build around ourselves that prevents his word from permeating our hearts and changing us. What is the stronghold 
That's keeping God's word from changing your heart. It can be a lot of different things. Depression, rejection, anger, fear, failure. Really, I think think it can be summed up in, in one thing, and that's pride. Pride. The lie that we can do it on our own. That we don't need God. That we can compartmentalize and hide behind the walls that we build up and not give up certain parts of our lives to him. You build the stronghold around the thing that you want to protect. And in pride, we retain our sinful thoughts and our carnal way of thinking. But God is calling us to break down the stronghold of our fleshly wrong thinking and take into captivity every thought, into captivity every thought, every thought that we have that we have to the obedience of Christ. This battle has prisoners, POWs, prisoners of war. This warfare has captives. What are they? They're your thoughts. Thoughts. Those are the prisoners. That's the prisoners of this war. It's a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your worldview. It's ultimately a battle for your submission, a battle for your obedience. It's God's way of thinking versus everyone else's way of thinking. Proverbs 21.22 says... A wise man scales the city. That's not Proverbs. <laughs> a wise man scales the city. If you can look for Proverbs 21:22 in that slideshow. A wise man scales the city of the mighty, but brings down the trusted stronghold. Brings down the trusted stronghold. We have to be wise. We must be wise. We have to be spiritually honest with our condition. Spiritually honest with, with, with who we are and where we are in this fight. And in order to exalt yourself against the knowledge of God, you have to be filled with pride. Pride is ultimately the root of your, uh, my wrong thinking. We have to change our thinking, change our thinking. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that God and ex- that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewed, changed, a change of thought, a change of thought. That is, as Eric was talking about, repentance. Metanoia, a change of mind, that is repentance. Changing your mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or something he has done. Repentance, we don't like talking about repentance, it's a hard one. Thank you for priming the pump, Eric. (laughs) And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We understand that the, the war we are in is spiritual. We understand that our main weapon in that war is what? The sword, the word of God. We understand that the stronghold to pull down is our flesh and our wrong thinking and ultimately our pride. And finally, we understand and see our mission objective, and that is obedience. We will only be as powerful as we are obedient to Jesus. We will only be as strong and and effective in this battle as we are submitted to him. He is the source of our power. Some of you guys might, you got all excited. You're like, we're going to be picking out and we're going to be like just bashing all of the strongholds of the culture. I'm so excited, right? Pulling down strongholds. 
You know I don't shy away from that. You know I don't. But we need to understand that until our obedience is fulfilled in our own hearts and we rid ourselves of our own pride and pull down the strongholds in our own minds, we won't be effective in the spiritual culture war. We can't be. We can't be. The, the revival starts right inside of your heart, your little heart. But rest assured, no matter what, no matter what, the strongholds will fall. They will fall. Isaiah 25, 11, halfway through 11 says, and he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls, he will bring down, lay low and bring to the ground, down to the dust. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is antithetical to pride? Humility, humility, meekness, gentleness. James 4, 6 says, but he gave, he, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just as Paul comes to the church in Corinth, uncompromising in truth, but delivering, delivering truth, he does so in the form of a bondservant, meek and gentle, meek and gentle. Jesus came into the world delivering himself truth and did so in the form of a servant, meek and gentle, in chains before Pilate. He's mocked, he's beaten, he's crucified, death on the cross. And just as Paul faithfully speaks a truth, a message riddled with truth and boldness to the church at Corinth and pleads with them in gentleness and meekness, to not despise it, but receive it. Christ came in meekness and in gentleness. Philippians 2, 7 through 8. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, although, although Jesus came in meekness and in gentleness... As a baby, there's nothing more meek and gentle and lowly than a baby. He will not return that way. He's not coming back as a baby. That would be pleasant and easy. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. It says, Now I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus will pull down not just the stronghold of your mind, but every stronghold. And not just temporarily, but eternally. Not just of the culture, but of the entire world. The question tonight, as we wrap up, Eric, you could you come on up as we, we're getting ready to worship. The question is, will you join the fight? Will you pick up your sword? Will you get off the bench, find your fulfillment in fighting the spiritual battle? Pick up your sword, pick up your sword. It reminds me of that VBS song. Pick up your sword, it's so good. It starts in your own heart, in your own obedience before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in meekness and in gentleness towards God. And now here in preparation for Christ's return. That's what we're doing. It's practice in the spiritual world. The enemy wants you to be afraid. The enemy wants you to shy away from the battle. But we know that we don't fight striving for victory, but from victory. That's the difference between this fight and all the other fights. We know we win. God wins already. There's power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. Lord, we want to pull down those strongholds of our mind, the pride, Lord, the arrogance, the, Lord, the things that we struggle with, the things that we build up around our hearts to keep you out. Lord, we want to pull those down and embrace you. And Lord, in, in humility, just saying, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we feel lost. Lord, we're fighting a battle and it's difficult. Lord, would you inspire in us a, a, a love and a passion for your word? Would we wake up and want nothing more but to be filled with your word? Jesus, we, we submit our wills to you and we, we, we now understand and continue on that we will not be effective unless we are first obedient to you. Unless we take every one of our thoughts and put it in prison, in your prison. All of it filtered through your mind, your truth, your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.